Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome to 3C Amplified. I'm your host, Jacqueline Destrumps, here to highlight the businesses, nonprofits, and individuals collaborating to amplify their impact in the community. This series is sponsored by Another Hand Advantage, where I create marketing strategies for community-minded small businesses and nonprofits that fit your schedule and budget while making your brand stand out in front of your audience. Joining me in the studio today is Kimberly Kerr, Senior Vice President of Planned Giving and Advancement, and Alisa De La Vara, Chief Community Officer, both with Arizona Community Foundation. Welcome, ladies. Thank well, you. Hello. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm especially excited um, to kick off the new year. This is the very first show of the new year, talking about specifically your community foundation, but also just community foundations and what those mean for the community. I think it's one of those, I guess, one of those organizations where you either you know about it because you're involved in it or you don't know about it at all. And it's not something I think that's very common. So let's get down to it today. And Kimberly, why don't I go ahead and start off with you? How? Uh, tell me a little bit about your journey how you ended up at Arizona Community Foundation. Okay, great. Um, well, I'm from Philadelphia, and I was actually born, raised, college, law school, all in Philadelphia. And it was in college that I got the desire and passion to work in the nonprofit sector. And I even um, ended up doing that before I went to law school. I worked in, for a grassroots organization combating homelessness and poverty and became a, sort of a national organization to help students get involved in working on those issues. And then I went to law school kind of always knowing I wanted to end up in the nonprofit sector. Ultimately, I, I I did end up working for a large firm and they put me in estate planning. <laughs> and it was that year where I met my husband. He was living in Philly and he's from Arizona and he wanted to come back. And I said, okay. So when we came back, I took the bar here, but I really decided that it was time. And when I learned about the Arizona Community Foundation, I thought, oh my goodness, what a perfect fit that I could combine my desire to work for the nonprofit sector with the estate planning background and do the fun part, the charitable gift planning part and help people um, to incorporate charitable giving into their current financial and estate plans. Great. And then, Alisa, how about you? How did you, what was a little bit about your journey and how you ended up working at Arizona Community Foundation? I think I had a longer journey than that. <laughs> um, I started in the nonprofit sector when I first, uh, I'm an Arizona native, and I started in the nonprofit sector when I moved to Phoenix, which was in the early 70s. I went to state government. I went into private sector. I went to work for the corp, uh, Fortune 500 company. I came back to the federal sector and then ended my career there and came to ACF to learn all about philanthropy. Philanthropy, even though I had been in the nonprofit sector, was not something I was familiar with. So this was all brand new to me. Very exciting to learn more about it. And with that in mind, what you said, you started off, this is something that not everybody knows. That's been like my mission. I want everybody to know this because it is absolutely one of the things that helps make a community better. Great. So on that note, then, let's get right into it. How would you, well, I guess you probably do this a lot. How do you explain a community foundation and what Arizona Community Foundation does for a community? Terrific. So um, Community Foundation is is basically an umbrella charitable organization. We are a public charity. Um, we actually, as a field, are over 100 years old. The first one started in Cleveland in 1914. And the idea is to help individuals, families, and businesses come together to create charitable funds to serve the community. And so one of the reasons why it's been hard for the Arizona Community Foundation to be known is as an umbrella organization that wants to serve the entire sector in, in all the charitable areas that, 
you can imagine. Um, we, uh, it's just hard to tell that story, right? But that's what we're here for. So today there are over 800 community foundations across the country. Wow. It's actually even grown. There's community foundations, thousands all over the world, um, but they're not well known. Um, we got started here in Arizona in 1978, and we were started by business leaders and philanthropists and actually an estate planning attorney um, who... Um, really understood the power of what a community foundation could be. We're actually one of the few of the over 800 across the country that are statewide. So having um, affiliates across our state was a, a, a definitely um, an intention at the outset. So we serve a geographic area, but we are here as a mechanism really um, for individuals, families, and businesses to set up funds to carry out their charitable giving. And they can do that during lifetime and or through by creating charitable legacies through estate plans. So we work a lot with professional advisors and are basically serve as the charitable arm of the clients, the donors, team of advisors to help them carry out their charitable giving in the most meaningful and, and tax advantageous ways. So it's a way to to educate the um, that bird that person or business or whoever it is that's coming to you. It's a way not only to educate them about maybe some of the nonprofits that they could contribute to, but mm-hmm. then there it's also how those funds or whatever it is that they're giving through their estate can most benefit. Absolutely, and so many of the people and businesses that set up their funds during lifetime. They, um, they do it as an alternative to creating their own private foundation. So as a public charity, um, they'll get the public charity tax benefits, which is really much better for them. And there's also, um, they don't have, it's not the same cost to setting it up in the ongoing administration. The community foundation takes care of all of that back office and they get to enjoy the grant making. So we add a lot of value by providing like you started to say, the, the philanthropic services and that we customize it for every single donor. We always say we meet one donor, we meet one donor. So everything we do is completely customized. So if they're looking um, to just continue the, the charitable giving that they're doing, we can do that and be very transactional and just be a way for them to organize their giving where they have one tax receipt um, when they make the contribution to the fund and they can give make additional contributions anytime. But then they use their fund to make grants from their fund um, on their own time. And those then are not taxable grants. They're just grants from their individual fund. We help them involve children and the next generation in charitable giving and facilitate that multi-generational philanthropy. Certainly, we do research for them and can suggest organizations that they might want to give to around certain issue areas that they may have. And um, it's pretty limitless the kind of services we can provide along those lines. Yeah. So if I could add, Jacqueline, while they may not know about Arizona Community Foundation, the outcomes of what they're doing and how they're investing is noticeable in the community because it's through ACF that these investments are made into the community with the nonprofit community. So people know about the Boys and Girls Club. They know about the Children's Hospital. They know about all of these different efforts that these donors give to. So we're in the background and that's a comfortable place to be in. But it it is important that we share this information with more people. Right. And I like how you were talking about how you kind of take care of the administration of it, because I can see how some people, maybe they have a big heart for giving and they just automatically jump to the assumption, well, I should start a nonprofit. And then they start looking at what that looks like. And they think, hmm, <laughs> there's a lot more work into it than yeah. just, yay, giving giving out money, giving out money. Yeah. So, um, and I actually, I want to say that when I was first introduced to um, Arizona Community Foundation uh, was uh, a couple, I want to say it was a couple years ago now, where through 100 Women Who Care, Valley of the Sun, one of our charitable recipients was the Nick and Kelly um, Children's Heart Fund. And at the time, you, um, they were associated with Arizona Community Foundation. And so at the time, all of our nonprofits that had been nominated up until that time were standalone, their own nonprofits. They had their own 
501c3. This was the first time that we were like, hey, wait, what does this mean that this organization is actually, you were handling mm-hmm. the administrative side of things? So that's actually how I was first introduced to what you did and then was just fascinating at learning even just the impact that you're having in the community by by going about it in this fashion. Yep, yep. So they take a lot of forms, the, the different funds. So we are today about 1,900 different funds, and there's a lot of different fund types. One of the ones that I was kind of referring to um, in my description earlier was a donor-advised fund. We also have um, a su- supporting organizations, and those two together are the public charity alternatives to a private foundation. But we also offer scholarship funds, which is a huge growing area for us. We have over 200 different scholarship funds that donors create and are involved in during lifetime or through their estate plans. And it's a it's a really great um, opportunity for students to access um, scholarships. Um, and I'm happy to talk about that. We actually could be another program if you wanted to bring our <laughs> director of scholarships in someday. But um, we do uh, other fund types. Are um, We have unrestricted funds. Uh, where donors might want to name it uh, through their state and then leave it to the community foundation and our board to determine wherever the needs are greatest. Uh, field of interest funds where they might identify an area of interest. It could be very broad or narrow depending on the donor's interest, but like broad interest could be education or healthcare or environment or arts and culture, you know, or it could be very narrow. We have a fund for a non-smoking female ornithologist. (laughs) It's really all over the map. We have designated funds where donors can endow their annual gift to their favorite charity or multiple organizations um, just by, you know, naming them in the fund to receive. And there's a comfort there in knowing that the Community Foundation Board has variance power where if that organization were ever to go away, it is incumbent on a it's in our bylaws to always honor donor intent and find the next best organization to fulfill the donor's purpose. Um, we also work with the nonprofits and our place for them to create their reserve and endowment funds um, so that we can help them with their fiscal sustainability. Um, and so the, the Nick and Kelly Hart Fund is sort of an example of that where they weren't We're not a standalone nonprofit like many of our nonprofit funds, but an opportunity for, um, or you know, organizations to work with the community foundation to be be their back office and support them in different ways. So even if they're running programs, Mm -hmm. we can we can provide those solutions. Right, right. It's a great way, I think, for like I was mentioning, somebody who has that heart and really wants to run a pro, you know, run that program or see that program through. But they don't have the capacity to run the administrative side of things or um, don't really want, have that capacity to have somebody who can um, take up that uh, kind of like that finance, not financial advisor, but look after the financial mm-hmm. side of things for them. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about, so your, um, Elisa, your, uh, chief community officer. So what does that mean? What, what are you doing exactly for the foundation? Well, Arizona Community Foundation, that's our middle name. So it's really, really important that we be out in the community, that we be listening to the community. And community has a lot of different meanings. We have a community of donors. We have a community of grantees. We have the community in general and many different communities within community. So um, one of the things that we try to do is make sure that ACF is in the community and that we bring the community to ACF. It's a relationship that, uh, you know, we see very essential to making sure that we're fulfilling our mission as someone who's trying to lead, serve, and collaborate to mobilize enduring philanthropy for a better Arizona. And we can only do that with our community partners. Right. So again, one of the things I found really fascinating, and actually you kind of hit it on a little bit there, Kimberly, was when you were talking about how there's, um, say, these you know buckets of interest. And somebody could come and say, I have a passion for education, but I don't necessarily have any one specific 
nonprofit that I want to help, but I just want my money to go as far as possible in helping in that area. And so I would assume then when you were talking about being in the community and hearing about the community, Mm -hmm. you can hear where those important pieces lie, what things are important in the community. And then on your end of things, when somebody comes to you and just says, I don't know, I just want to give back and I'm not sure what to do, you can bring that piece into it, what you're hearing Absolutely. Listening is probably the biggest skill that we need to have Mm -hmm. as a foundation. And it's one that we really try to promote throughout all of our uh, employees, whether it's the front desk to to our relationship managers, everybody, when they're out in the community, they're listening to what's going on. They're listening to and learning what's being done in the community. Yeah. You touched on a little bit donor-advised funds. So tell me, um, because I've, I've come across that term um, a few times, uh, <laughs> a few times, times 100, over the past couple of years, just with my work through um, uh, giving circles like 100 Who Care and moving towards that model of having having donors have that money pass through a donor-advised fund before mm-hmm. it moves on to, say, a selected nonprofit. So Tell me a little bit more about it, though, sure. as it relates to how the the community foundation. Donor advice funds are so important. They are a wonderful, flexible vehicle for, like I said, individuals, families, and companies to create. They can set it up, name it, whatever they want. At ACF, it's a minimum of 25000 to create a separate named fund. And then they have the ability to grant out when the time is right for them from their fund. And if they want our help, that's what we're here, to help their grant making be the most meaningful to them. Many of them come and they're, they're referred to us by their professional advisor. A lot of them just hear about it. It's becoming, it really is probably the biggest growth area in all of philanthropy. Mm-hmm. And it's really important for nonprofits to understand them and how they work. And so we we do a lot, um, you know, through our grants and our loan program that Elisa can talk about. We do a lot to serve our nonprofit community. We, we also offer the ability for them to set up their funds with us. But we do a lot of capacity building trainings um, for nonprofits on plan giving and endowment building. And through that, we also want to make sure that they understand donor advised funds because they're getting more and more of their fundraising revenue from donor advised funds. And they need to understand what what that means and how they can steward those donors. But it is such an important vehicle for families and and businesses and individuals, as I said. Um, Tell me what additional questions you have because it's just it, they're so important. I, I want to make sure that well, I'm answering. What, no, what yeah. You, Why? What do you attribute then? Maybe the that growing popularity to the donor advised fund, the flexibility, mm-hmm. or and is the popularity growing on both sides, both from the individuals and business who's who are setting it up, and the nonprofits yeah. who are benefiting from it. Or? Well, I I don't attribute it to nonprofits yet, right? <laughs> but I would say that it's that I think it's mostly because the professional advisors are becoming so much more sophisticated mm-hmm. and so much more intimate with their clients around what's going to be add value for right, them. Right. And their understanding and a lot, I hope, through the work of the Community Foundation to help educate you know, financial advisors, attorneys, CPAs, insurance agents, trust officers, and understanding the value of bringing this this philanthropic conversation mm-hmm. to their client relationships. And from a business standpoint for financial advisors, their understanding, I mean, not all donor advice fund providers do this, but we work a lot with the external asset managers. So if a, a financial advisor brings a client to us to create a donor advice fund, we can work with them to continue to manage the assets and the funds their clients create. And if their clients are very philanthropic and are going to leave a lot of money to charity in their estate plans especially, they can still be um, engaged with their clients' you know, finances even after clients pass away. Mm-hmm. So from a business planning standpoint, it adds tremendous value for them to refer their clients to us to help them with their philanthropy. And it also keeps those assets on their books from a practical standpoint. So I think that's one aspect that where we've seen the rise in it. Um, but it, it's because it's such, it helps, like I said, from a tax planning standpoint, 
you can give illiquid assets mm-hmm. into a donor advised fund, um, and then they become liquidated inside the fund. And the, their long term appreciated capital gain property there, where the donors then don't pay capital gains, but they get those tax benefits. And now they have all that money to give away to causes they care about. So that's been another, it's just really understanding how much they help donors who, like I said earlier, you know, write a lot of checks. They may want to simplify and, right. and just put it in name, name their fund, have their own foundation, get their kids involved. It, it creates like so many different opportunities and so many ways to to help um, with the the giving and making it more meaningful and more strategic. Mm -hmm. Right. And going back to, um, you mentioned before, I think uh, you were talking about kind of multi-generational giving. I can see this as being a way for a uh, parent to set up, you know, a donor advised fund, um, maybe have, you know, with their estate. And so maybe the, the the children may or may not be getting some of that money once they pass on. But what a great gift then if you are a family that has participated in philanthropy all through the time that the family is growing and the children are growing up. And then once the their parents pass on, children are left with this maybe yeah. donor advised fund that they then can say this is you know this is how we'd like for this money yeah. and we see many examples of that yeah. i mean through a lot of the funds that we have where families are including their children their grandchildren in terms of making those decisions mm-hmm. on where their charitable giving is going to go yeah a lot of conversations around you know how much is enough and the kids they want they want the kids to see more value in their lives mm-hmm. and understand that giving back is important and this kind of vehicle is really, you know, does a lot towards that. I saw a really great article, actually, just this morning. I was on LinkedIn, and I was kind of scrolling through, and anytime I see, like, the word philanthropy, I tend to stop and kind of take a look and see what it's all about. And um, the general gist of it is they were saying, um, how does one even define philanthropy? And in the past, many people may have thought, oh, well, you've got to be, you know, Oprah Winfrey or Bill and Melinda Gates in order to be considered a philanthropist because philanthropy means you have a bunch of money that you're giving back. And they said, no, actually, philanthropy is just a philanthropist is really anybody who wants to create an impact and see a more positive change in their community. And they do take steps, whether they be, you know, personal steps of their own time or money um, or outreach Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, taking a stand and having a kind of a cause that they get behind. Philanthropy um, can really mean so much more and doesn't need to be millions of dollars. And again, I can see how the work of Arizona Community Foundation is really helping people to see like you said, I think you said it was a $25,000 right. mm-hmm. to have right. a personally personal donor advised yeah. fund. But you talked about your giving circle, yeah. and we have several giving circles, mm-hmm. which is exactly speaks exactly to right. that. Right. It's not being able to start a $25,000 fund at the get-go, but right. collectively being able to raise that kind of money and make the impact that you need in the, in the areas that you're concerned right. with. Right. So we have circles that deal with um, STEMs, circles that deal with um, you know restoring the Carver Museum. There's different circles that are doing great things in the community, and we probably probably have about six of them right now that are very active and very involved in giving back to the community. Right. Now, you mentioned, or actually I may have just read it, so do you pick specific focus areas then through the foundation? I mean, I know you say you listen a lot to the community and what's important and you've got kind of these buckets, but is there any one specific focus area that um, that you take on for maybe like a yeah. year or mm-hmm. on a quarterly basis? Yes. And I'll just start and then turn over to Elisa. Okay. Um, so we have a philanthropic agenda that we developed several years ago, but that was really based on what our donors had given to over the course of our 40-year history. Um, the uh, So those agenda areas we've defined as education, health innovations, community improvement and development, 
environment, sustainability, and arts and culture. And so pretty much anything that someone wants to do charitably will, will fall into the, one of those areas. And when we have more money that donors have earmarked for different areas, we're able to do more with it, of course. And then I'll, I'll turn over to Elisa to talk more specifically about our community initiatives. Well, community, as I said, is really important. And I think we do look at all of our resources. We look at the investments that we have and where they're going. We look at the support programs that we might be able to put in place through our grants. We look at uh, what we can do that's innovative, like the water prize that we've provided in the past. And then we look at what we can do to be better listeners in the community. So let me start with that. We launched what we call the Courage to Listen, Learn, and Act, which is really a proactive and very um, in-the-community activity that we uh, put out. Uh, it's a series of three conversations where we really take the time to listen about what the problem is and scope out exactly what the issues around that particular problem are. All the research that's out there as much as we can get. The, re- um, the learn part is, you know, what resources are out, are out there and what gaps do we have in terms of the resources that are serving that particular issue. And the last is, the act part. What can we do as donors as uh, or an organization that makes grants into the community to change the needle in terms of that particular issue? We started with the issue of mass incarceration because we kept hearing from different uh, organizations that there, there was a lot of discrepancies in terms of incarceration and how the communities of color were impacted by um, mass incarceration or low economics uh, contributed to that. Uh, So that was our our focus for the last two years and uh, very successful, I might add, in terms of bringing awareness and and finding what those gaps were. Over those two years, we were also listening to what the current um, topics might be and housing kept coming up, Mm -hmm. the lack of affordable housing, Mm -hmm. how difficult it was uh, to deal with uh, first-time home ownership. Uh, the credit requirements have changed. The down payment requirements have changed. It's harder to become a first-time home buyer. The stock of available housing that fits with a first-time purchase is not as expansive as it could be or, you know, how we hoped it could be. Uh, so housing became the issue that that we're currently in and we'll be addressing um, that courage series, uh, uh, you know, the courage to listen, the courage to learn, and the courage to act uh, with housing in mind. Um, it's not an easy easy subject to to tackle. It's not an, a subject that has a easy um, fix. Um, yeah, it, it it's involves, so multifaceted, it multifaceted as far as what, what the fixes could be and what Absolutely. type of um, impact they would have on So we took an areas. inventory of what we're doing uh, to address affordable housing. And one of the things that ACF has done, you know, that listening aspect has been something important uh, well beyond my involvement with ACF, and I've only been with ACF for the last five years. But 10 plus years ago, uh, that housing was an issue then. This is be right during the foreclosure crisis and a lot of different things that were happening in the housing arena. And one of the things that uh, I think some of the leadership of ACF heard was that there is an opportunity to create affordable housing through the low-income housing tax credit. But one of the stumbling blocks for that was the ability for the nonprofit community to have that fifty, seventy-five thousand dollars that's needed just to be able to put a package together mm-hmm. and do all the requirements that are necessary for that application, whether it's um, testing for soil contamination, whether it's architectural rendering, whether it's um, just a, a charrette from the community to make sure that there's community acceptance and buy-in. All of those things were um, essential to that package and sometimes not within the realm of what a nonprofit could do given, you know, their budgets are thin as they are. So ACF, uh, through the investment from many financial institutions, individual donors that are part of our donor uh, community and and people who were just supportive of that, was able to put together a fund of $1.5 million. In those 10 years, that fund has cycled three times, so it's already put out more than $4.5 million in those kinds of loans. And these are zero-interest loans, so it's not like it's a hardship on a on a development um, opportunity. It's uh, It just helps that development opportunity come to fruition. So it's cycled already. Um, it's on its fourth cycle now, but we just put together all the data on what's happened with that fund. And 
even though the investment has been at 0% and it's been, you know, 50, 75, and now we're doing $100,000 investments, those dollars, that $4.5 million translates into 3,000 units of affordable housing that's been built throughout Arizona. Wow. Um, And it serves special populations. It may be seniors, it may be special needs, it may be veterans. It serves different categories uh, of housing that's needed out in the community. So when we looked at this issue of affordable housing and all the things that we're hearing, uh, that homelessness is becoming a bigger issue among seniors, that um, evictions are occurring faster and families are now uh, homeless uh, and that's growing. Uh, I mean, we really took an inventory of what we've done and try to figure out with our partner community what else is taking place. And we found that there's a lot of interest and a lot of new and cool things that are happening uh, that are very, very new to this area. One of the things that uh, we're happy about is that ACF was chosen as a home for a new fund that was started by a collaborative fund. And you, Kim, talked about a lot of the different funds that we have, but we also have collaborative funds that are more than just a family. It's a broader uh, engagement from uh, a variety of sources. Oh, wow. There's an Arizona housing fund that's Mm -hmm. now in operation that is really engaging the stakeholders that are currently involved in housing, whether through development, whether through rental units, whether through uh, real estate transactions, they're involved now. There's a voluntary contribution that they can make to this fund at closing when you're buying a house, and we're seeing the results of that come in. That fund has been around for a very short period of time. It's already hitting its $200,000 mark, and their whole intent is to support affordable housing throughout the state of Arizona. So we're real encouraged by that. Um, there's a association now of, of uh, health providers that want to know what they can do mm-hmm. to contribute to this problem. So Bringing everybody together, talking to everybody, sharing, um, I think is going to make a big difference. And that's what we're working on. And what a way, I mean, the data, when you when you talk about the data, because what a way to really showcase how collaboration and pe- everyone coming together and contributing something, whatever that may be, has grown into something so large and such a great impact. So 4.5 million translates to 3,000 units, rental units that are affordable Mm -hmm. for very low and moderate income individuals and households. It also translates to a leverage factor because 4.5 was the investment in the pre-development, but what it costs to build is in $500 million area. So for every dollar invested, there is $512 leveraged. I mean, that's pretty... Pretty decent yeah, return yeah. on investment. Most definitely. <laughs> for sure. How did you get the buy-in then for this fund? Was it was it somebody members from the community that came to you and said, We want to do this fund, or or did that maybe as initially how it started? But then how did you get more of those stakeholders mm-hmm. to jump on board with that? I think ACF was very fortunate to have um, bankers on Mm -hmm. their board of directors who understood this problem and understood it from a perspective of having worked as well in the community and and knowing what their CRA reports tell them about what's lacking and needed in in different communities. Uh, I think there was a champion from one of our board members to to lead this effort who had uh, a strong banking experience at a very high level, and she was able to articulate that uh, need out there. And our team support, I mean, ACF supported that whole, I mean, we understood it. So it was supported. Um, and I don't think it took a lot of convincing uh, for the financial institution to know <laughs> that that was important. Right. Um, and I think some of the other donors who I saw in the initial uh, funding uh, were our board members. Mm-hmm. And our board members are very involved with what we do. And, you know, we're very transparent in terms of what we're proposing and what we uh, see out there in the community as issues and needs. Yeah, Shout out to having a strong board. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I don't know how many nonprofits I've had come through here and we talk about their success and what's behind their success. And every single one of them has had a really active board mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, just speaks volumes to nonprofits and, you know, the work that they're doing in order to build a really solid active board, because just look at the results that that can have for an organization. 
Yeah, and that I think a lot of what Elisa was describing, it always um, strikes a chord in me. You know, we have seven core values, and one of them is collaboration. And everything that we do is in partnership. I mean, I can say that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I've been with the um, Arizona Community Foundation for 19 and a half years, and it's just been amazing to see what we can accomplish when we bring, you know, community partners together. So even um, along this, of course, the board and donors, financial institution partners and staff. But um, when we launched this affordable housing loan program, it's in partnership with LISC. And I'll let Lisa explain that a little bit more. So we always like to remind folks that people don't give to ACF. They give through ACF. And the same with anything. We don't run programs, but we do convene the groups that, um, you know, are involved in this. So when we uh, were contemplating the uh, Affordable Housing Pre-Development Loan Fund, that isn't something that we wanted to manage and run uh, through us because it, it takes a certain expertise. We're fortunate in Phoenix to have the local initiative support corporation be part of our community. They've been here for 30 years. Uh, it's part of a New York national network of, of uh, a, a nonprofit that uh, does substantial work in the area of affordable housing and community redevelopment. So uh, we're very fortunate. There are partners in this effort. They do the underwriting. They really have the pulse of what's going on in terms of the tax credit program how it works, where uh, some of the strong nonprofits that are doing this kind of work and, you know, how successful they can be. They they underwrite all of our um, projects that we uh, contemplate. Our board approves, our board committee, excuse me, the Impact Investing Committee approves the projects, but it's presented and underwritten through the Local Initiative Support Corporation. Uh, they help put together all the criteria for what we would look at. So we look at nonprofits, nonprofits who have some experience in this. If they don't have experience in development, we try to match them up with someone who does because it really requires a certain level of technical capacity uh, to submit this kind of proposal to the uh, state of Arizona for the tax credit projects. Yeah. So what are some ways that uh, the community can help out with any of these initiatives or how do you look to, I know you look to listen to the community for feedback, Mm -hmm. but they want to do, what if they want to do more than give their voice? How do you involve the community in ACF? Well, they can be involved through a number of ways. And I think every one of our philanthropic areas allows for that. When Kimberly was talking about the grant opportunities that we put out there, we have different uh, grant opportunities that require reviewers. Mm -hmm. So if someone from the community wants to be involved in looking at our scholarships, I mean, we invite that kind of participation. Sign me up. (laughs) No, I'm serious. That's one of my most favorite things to do. I'm going to take a note right now. She is, ladies and gentlemen, she is actually reaching for, she's (laughs) writing that down. No, I actually, so... Uh, sorry to cut you off there, no, no, but no, no, that is actually one of the things that I feel is one of the easiest ways for someone in the community to, one, learn about other nonprofits in their community if it's a grant that they're mm-hmm. looking at, but learn about where the other nonprofits are in the community, but then to really look at the process and the hard work that goes into writing absolutely a grant. Mm-hmm. And it's so tough sometimes because you look at it and you read their mission, you're like, wow, this is amazing. And then you start reading through and going, oh, gosh, <laughs> you know, like they could really use some help with with this. And what a really great way to expose yourself to seeing, again, that process that nonprofits go through to just be able to fund their programs. Mm-hmm. And then for the scholarships, I just imagine just reading through those stories and of course, you want everybody to get get something, and that's not always the case. But I think that's a really amazing way for you to involve the community. That's one way to kind of come into and, and find out more about what ACF does. We have um, a website that, uh, you know, really explains a lot of different uh, activities that we have going. For nonprofits that haven't participated with ACF before, we try to do workshops so that we can introduce new nonprofits or small nonprofits that may have discounted themselves from the process because they just aren't aware of what we do or how we do it. So we really try to make sure that we're reaching in the broadest sense all the the 
nonprofits that are out there that are doing good work in the community. Yeah, and that was actually going to be my next question. As far as a nonprofit, what you talk about those workshops, um, are those something that are done quarterly or? Well, we do them twice a year. Oh, okay. And there's one coming up in February. It should be up on our website by now. And uh, we invite small nonprofits that have not worked with ACF or any nonprofit that just wants to get a refresher. They might want to find out why they weren't selected in Mm -hmm. a previous uh, grant cycle. And, you know, this is an opportunity to learn more about the process and Mm -hmm. the review that it goes through. And that that feedback, again, is invaluable because that's uh, once I started in the process of reviewing grant applications and got further along in it, I've been doing it now for about four years for a certain organization. And now it's to the point where, you know, I get to see it through where those uh, and provide that feedback for them. Like you had a, it was, you were going good up until this, this point here where we asked for outcomes and you really couldn't provide us yeah. with anything. And it maybe just came down to you know what, we've never, we we don't know how to write outcomes. Well, okay, well, let's sit you down with somebody then that can help you come up with those outcomes. And then seeing the next year their application come through again and it's so strong and then seeing fully funded that year, whereas the previous year maybe they weren't funded at all or only partially funded. Mm -hmm. That feedback is invaluable. Absolutely. And we cover all of those aspects and we tell them what we're looking for and what our reviewers are looking for Mm -hmm. when they go through these proposals as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I mentioned earlier that we do trainings for nonprofits of all levels um, on developing planned giving and endowment building programs. Mm-hmm. So we are, we do a, a planned giving 100 series, so a three part series, but you don't have to come to all three. The, any individual session will, will still be really worthwhile and they're very interactive. Um, we do the 100 series. Um, actually now, like January through March, and then we do a Plan Giving 200 series um, in the fall. And and then uh, that's all building um, up to the Arizona Endowment Building Institute. So nonprofits that are at a more sophisticated readiness level might, that we call this sort of the graduate course in <laughs> endowment building. And um, we're launching class 12 now of the AEBI, Arizona Endowment Building Institute. And it, this is now a, a full program within the Arizona Community Foundation, but it's another example of something that was started in partnership with other foundations and community leaders that are passionate about helping nonprofits be sustainable, thinking mm-hmm. about that long-term sustainability with having plan giving endowment building programs. And it was never more apparent after the downturn in 08 when a lot of nonprofits that did not have endowments unfortunately had to close their doors. So we have seen uh, this, this is a, a wonderful growth area for nonprofits. So I would encourage them to reach out to us and just go on our website, see what if programs are coming up and, and just register um, or reach out to us. We'll be happy to help. I love the fact that that's that ongoing training. So it's not just, you know, a one and done mm-hmm. and then you're out there out on their own and <laughs> yeah. and you hope that they follow through with what they've what they've learned. I like that yeah. you have it kind of as a program set up that they can keep coming back and building mm-hmm. on that knowledge and as you said kind of go on to more uh, graduate yeah. <laughs> study. Well, what's wonderful and it's a tribute to our our um, staff that leads this and brings in outside experts for all of our trainings as well, but um we uh the people, the organizations and individuals that go through the Arizona Endowment Building Institute, even after they've done that, they still come to the Plan Giving 100 and 200 series as a refresher. Mm-hmm. Um, you're always learning because it's so interactive. You're always learning. And, and then, of course, it's great networking, too. Right, right. And I imagine, too, as you have new staff coming on and you want them to go through it. And again, it's probably uh, one of those areas where, you know, it's ever changing and growing mm-hmm. and there's new information that can be disseminated out and and into the nonprofit community. Yeah. Yeah. What are maybe anything else that we maybe didn't touch on today that you kind of feel like people need to know about Arizona Community Foundation? Well, well, (laughs) that's a very uh, funny question because I'm sure we're both thinking of uh, countless things that we could share. One thing that I think it would be nice, and I know I've alluded to the the support that we provide to businesses that want to engage more in philanthropy. Um, We have 
the PECAS Center for Business Philanthropy. And um, certainly that might be interesting to your listeners um, if we, we have a director of that center who uh, could come and present. But um, another one of our convenings that we do is a, the Family Business Forum, where family business owners of of all generations, um, you know, attend along with professional advisors who have a lot of family business owning owner clients. And uh, that's, that's something to keep in mind. And for donors, and you were asking about um, different opportunities to get involved, you know, Elisa was sharing that, you know, we really want everyone to know that they can be a philanthropist and the giving circles are great opportunities for people. And then for for our donors, we do a lot of different donor education forums around sort of those broader issue areas to help, you know, donors who want to meet each other and learn from each other. And so those are are things that, that we could also engage community members in as well. Yeah, I love what you're, when you're talking about the way to get to businesses involved in mm-hmm. um, in giving back. Um, one of the things I always try to stress and one of the main reasons I even started doing this radio show was just to inform businesses that there are um, a plethora of ways of giving back. You don't have to always just feel like, oh gosh, I don't have, you know, I was approached about a golf tournament sponsorship and it was $5,000 and I didn't have $5,000. So that's all that, you know, that's all I have. They want from me, and I don't have it, so I can't give back. And there's just so many other ways for um, businesses to get involved in in philanthropy and giving back in the community. And I think you know Arizona Community Foundation is a great start because, as I mentioned before, you just have you have so many different areas of funding and and ways to educate them on how how their dollars can can really make an impact. It's a lot of time, talent, and treasure that goes into philanthropy. And as Kimberly reminded us, um, you know, the whole giving circle idea was that that was the premise. It, it doesn't just mean uh, or philanthropy isn't just for that person that could walk in and start a $25,000 fund. It's right. everything. It's anyone. There is philanthropy going on every day. I mean, when people uh, invite someone over to dinner because they know that that person may not be able to cook for themselves or, you know, takes a care package to someone because you know that person might. I mean, all of that is philanthropy. It doesn't equate to dollars and a fund, but it's all part of being good and being um, helping others in need, you know. Most definitely. Yeah. Like I mentioned, I just like this morning when I saw that article about um about philanthropy and just some people try, you know, just trying to dispel that myth that it's only for someone who has millions of dollars to give back. It's um, it can be anybody, and I love the family business aspect of what you're talking about. You're right. I, when I asked you that question, I <laughs> now we've got a whole nother show where we can talk about those aspects. Um, but I did want to, as we wrap up here, um, give you both an opportunity to um, maybe talk a little bit about uh, maybe an exciting. Opportunity opportunity or something that's coming up or if uh, and I'll especially make sure that you if people want to reach out and get in touch with you how mm-hmm. they can do that we'll definitely have all the information um, when this is uh posted as a podcast. We'll have that available online. But for anybody who's listening live right now who wants to make sure they can reach out to you in the meantime, provide them with that information as well. Okay. I have two points that I want to yeah. leave. Uh, one is if you're interested in housing, uh, please help us. Uh, we have the three convenings that we're planning, so please be part of it in your communities. We're going to do this in different parts of the state, so um, that'll be an opportunity for uh, participants from other areas to help us understand uh, the issues around housing. The second is that we have a census coming up in April, and we believe that if we don't have a complete count in this upcoming 2020 census, and there are many reasons why we may not get a complete count, some that um, are just different way approach that they're taking to how they're taking the census. And another is that uh, uh, communities of colors have all of color have always been difficult to count. Tribal communities are difficult to count. So please participate in the upcoming census because when those counts are not reflective of the community that we have to serve, it really puts a drain and on the resources that the state ends up getting, and it doesn't allow for us to be able to serve in the way that we should be serving our communities. This is what determines not only um, how many congressional districts we're going to have, but it determines funding for a lot of areas, schools, for uh, parks, for uh, just 
facilities that we need, facilities that are important. So this 2020 census is really, really important. Great. Thank you for that reminder, because I I do actually remember seeing something, I think maybe last year, and they were saying, you know, next year's the census. And I'm like, okay, you know, not really thinking about the impact that that has the community and what exactly, why, like, why everyone wants, why are they asking this information? Why should I give this over? And it really does have a big impact on our communities. It determines the funding for the next 10 years. So if we're undercounted, that's what we have to live with for the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. So I will mention two things as well. So one is we also have a center for LGBTQ philanthropy. So if that is of interest, you know, I invite um, anyone to reach out to us. We'd be delighted to connect you with our colleagues at work on that. Um, and then also just as a, a to reiterate the scholarship opportunities. So those are now open. Um, the, the scholarship funds, they have, um, they've, they're starting <laughs> to open and be available for students. And students that learn about a scholarship fund that ACF has will be um, go to our website and fill out a general application, and then they'll learn about all the other scholarships that they also might be eligible for. So it's a really great opportunity. And for anyone who's interested in serving as a reviewer, we always need more reviewers. Um, so that would just be wonderful. And just look forward to serving and helping anyone get connected at, uh, more to us and other nonprofits that we'd be happy to help make those connections. Yeah, that's great. And I remember reading when um, just on the topic of scholarships, and um, you're actually Arizona's largest statewide grant, uh, grant maker and private provider of college scholarships. That was also something that I I had actually no idea that that you had college scholarships as well. So that's that's great. So anyone who would like to reach out and learn more information, the website is oh, www.azfoundation.org. All right. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, ladies. Um, I enjoyed having you both in here. I think we we learned a lot. We covered a lot of information, and then, but like you said, again, now we've kind of opened the door to ooh. <laughs> so obviously, if anyone else has any more questions, check out the website because we just really scratched the surface of everything that you guys are doing in the community and all of the different ways the Arizona Community Foundation is having an impact in Arizona. So thank you both for being here. You're welcome. It was our pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Uh huh. You've been listening to 3C Amplified, where we share how others are connecting, creating, and collaborating to amplify their impact. And we hope we've inspired you to do the same in your community. If you are a fellow changemaker and want to build connections, create relationships, and collaborate with others to make positive change, join the online community to, to build and support and engage people like you wanting to amplify their impact in communities around the world. Visit 3Camplified.com backslash community to learn more. Until next time, I'm Jacqueline Deschamps with Another Hand Advantage. Let me help create a digital marketing strategy to put your organization's mission in front of your target audience and highlight the impact you're having in your community. 